Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Boudet and I'm here with Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? It's going good, Chris. I'm excited. I'm excited for today's episode. I know we, we, we did a little pre-planning here. Uh, we uh, made kind of a list of uh, different topics we'd like to talk about, not just during this uh, particular banter segment of our podcast, but future segments for future podcasts. And one of the things that kind of rose to the top of the list is a recent article. This particular article comes from the American Speech Hearing Association leader, which is a sort of a publication that comes out to those that are members of ASHA, which is the American Speech and Hearing Association. And uh, this particular article is called A Call for Consistency in AAC Picture Systems, Multiple Symbols for the Same Object or Concept, complicate the use of picture-based communication systems. And it was written by someone named Christine Durse. Hello, Christine, if you're listening, we're talking about your article. Um, and uh, we wanted to kind of break it down and discuss it. So first off, this was so interesting to follow on social media. And it's still like popping off on social media. Like people are creating posts about it, going on video, talking about it. And so it's been really interesting to see it, how it's unfolded. Some people are really into this idea of universal symbols, um, you know, and other people are like, absolutely not. So we thought we would just break down the article for you. And then we're just going to talk about it and talk about what we think about the arguments that the author made. So we would advocate for you to go and read the entire article if you have access to it. The actual leader is not free. I think it's uh, behind a paywall. Um, but what we've chosen to do is pull, pull out certain elements of it. Uh, so it's not the entire article, but certain kind of um, uh, maybe even the most pertinent uh, paragraphs. We're going to read portions of those, discuss them, summarize them, and then kind of give our impressions on them. Does that sound fair, Rachel? Yeah. So let's just dive in. The first paragraph we pulled was, uh, when it comes to augmentative and alternative communication, and specifically picture communication, what we model to children is what they will produce. Multiple symbols for the same object or concept complicate the use of picture-based AAC. When will we as a profession decide it's time for a universal picture communication symbol set that all our at-risk learners are exposed to and at the earliest possibility? So, you know, obviously if you're working in the AAC sphere, you know there's multiple symbol sets for, mul for various devices. Um, you know, so Go does not look the same on a LAMP device as it does on Prolocoda Go or TouchChat. You know, all of these companies, they license different symbol sets for their systems. And so basically the author, I believe, is saying well, she wants one system, one universal system of symbols. And the very first sentence in that paragraph, I think, is something we we would universally agree agree upon. I think, in fact, it is even one of the AAC agreements that we've talked about in previous episodes and during those sorts of sessions, which is when it comes to AAC uh, and specifically picture communication, what we model to a child is what they will produce. And that is the whole basis of aided language input or aided language stimulation or our partner augmented input is that we need to do the model. So that's, I think, clear. Everyone sort of agrees on that. Um, it's this idea of, do we need to have one sort of universal picture that represents the concept? And that's where things get a little mucky, because it would be a lot easier if we did just have one. But would it really? Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Yeah. And so it's interesting because, especially for 
SLPs who are working in classroom settings, it is challenging when you have different children on different systems within the same classroom, right? Because go on one device doesn't look like go on the other device. That is a challenge we're presented with when we're working with multiple students within a classroom, um, especially when we're trying to teach paraprofessionals and teachers. And, you know, it does seem to overcomplicate things. Um, So the author, she talks about this idea of milk. So she says, for example, if we begin early and model it often, a symbol of a triangle can come to mean milk. If we repeatedly attach meaning to it, taking the triangle symbol off the refrigerator door as we take out the milk, showing the child the symbol as we pour the milk into a cup, waiting for the child to look at the symbol and touch it before giving them the milk, then why shouldn't that symbol come to mean milk? Which is true, right? We, it doesn't matter what the symbol is that represents the word. Eventually, children will start pairing that language with that symbol, which is the whole idea of symbolic representation. So I think this is sort of the basis for the uh, 3D printed symbols that are, are on the Project Core website, is that there's, there, there's not a large variety of, of uh, 3D printed symbols that you can go and get. It's this, this is this consistent set that we we're hoping that everyone would use. And what they're saying, what she's saying here about the milk is the same concept, is that if you gave someone this kind of physical symbol to hold, and this is the same shape, and you gave it to them repeatedly and modeled its use, this thing that you're holding in your hand, this shape, this unique shape, would come to mean whatever that concept was, just like she, just like what she's referring to here is milk, right? Um, and in fact, there is a universal symbol for milk. Uh, did you know that? It's, it, it, I think it is. It's one that has two humps, a line with a dot over it, another line, and then another line that goes up diagonal and down. So an M, an I, an L, and a K. That is sort of a universal symbol set. It's just not, uh, we don't think of it as a picture, but it really is a symbol for the concept of this white stuff that comes out of cows. Which is important to think about, and that was the first thing that came to my mind with this article, is that, and we can go down and we're going to explain a little bit more about the author argues that it would make it easier for adults who are modeling, which I'm on board with. Anything that makes modeling easier for adults, great. Um, But she makes the argument that symbols is what we look at as adults to model on a communication board or a device or, you know, whatever type of AAC. And I would argue that we're looking at the labels. We're looking at M-I-L-K. We're not looking at the symbols as much, um, at least I'm not, um, because we're literate, right? We can read. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, Oftentimes what I'll do for dramatic effect, um, either during a consultation or I've done this when I presented, is take all of the labels off of an AAC system and try to make a sentence with only the symbols. It's nearly impossible without hitting the buttons and trying to figure out what word says what, what icon says what word. And so, you know, it's, we take for granted oftentimes the fact that we can just so easily read a word. Um, so we're not really relying on the symbols as much, but it's important, again, going back to the conversation about literacy. We need to be teaching that kind of symbolic representation to kids. Now, of course, that's not where we start. Like we start with picture-based communication systems. It's less important to worry about the symbol long-term, and it's more important to worry about the literacy long-term. I couldn't agree more. I would also argue that um, we need to talk about the motor planning. Where exactly are the the pictures being located? And, And that's another thing that drives 
the ease of use of a, of a symbol set for the adult that's modeling is that if you keep the buttons in the same spot, you can model them faster. So what you said, I think, is a, is 100% accurate. We do the exact same. Uh, I, I do that during my trainings um, where we, we hide the, the, the words, uh, hide the, the letters so you can just look at the pictures. But then we say if you keep them in the same spot, you can become faster. So your, your initial way of learning them is reading the word that goes with the picture. And then by keeping them in the same spot, I get faster and faster. And the same thing happens with kids. The initial icon potentially matters, right? They see that arrow, they think go, but then eventually they learn the motor plan and they're not visually scanning anymore, which is so important because that's one of the terrible myths about AAC and, you know, providing high tech AAC is that, oh, well, they can't scan. They can't scan a visual field more than two. So we're only going to give two buttons. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous because first of all, having more buttons to scan helps with visual scanning. But also kids stop relying on visual scanning once they learn the motor plans. So it's just with enough practice and motivation and use, kids will learn these motor plans for where these words are and they will no longer visually scan their devices. So the next, uh, one of the things we wanted to pull out, it says, uh, what she writes is, the different symbol sets make it more challenging for us to recognize a symbol on a device and fluidly model language. And so I'm not sure that's 100% true. Let me explain what, it, at least in my experience with this is, I like, I used to like to use this as an example. How do you teach slow, the word slow? Um, we call that a core word, slow and fast. You know, it's a describing word. It'd be a word that many students would use in their life. So how do you teach it, right? Well, you could show a picture of what? Somebody running? Well, no, because that's sort of moving fast. But what would the picture of slow be? Like, well, what, what do you think of? What, Rachel, I can see your mouth, your mouth is opening. Like, I, I, I'm going to tell you what it is, Chris. One of my favorite animals, Chris, a turtle. Okay. Okay, let's go with that. Turtles are slow, right? We, we, and we could, um, I'm sure you remember the, 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 the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? Yes. And how the slow, he had moved slow, and you could actually watch little videos of turtles moving slowly, right? And um, so there'd be a lot of ways to teach slowness using a turtle. But that's not the only one that is slow. Like a snail also represents slow, right? I mean, mm -hmm. snails are slow. And they also move slowly across their reeds and, and, and or their pieces of grass that they're that they've hooked themselves onto. They're also known for being slow. And I think my my wife and I often joke we have a teenager in the house, right? And uh, in the morning he acts like a sloth, which is also really slow. Come on, Tucker, let's go. We gotta get going. Back with a sense of urgency. So there are multiple. We're just talking about animals, let alone other things out there that could represent going slow. Maybe a yellow light, for instance, would be another visual representation of kind of slowing down. All of those, a turtle, a snail, a sloth, a yellow light, and, and more, can help teach the concept of what slow even means to somebody. So in that case, more pictures help rather than less because it helps you illustrate what the concept is, which again, I don't want to there are certain systems that, that allow you to have more pictures uh, to, to teach a concept. Unity, for instance, you know, it's two hits, there are two pictures, and that helps you better understand what the concept is. 
Yeah. And it's important too. I've actually had kids not respond well to one symbol, but for whatever reason, respond better to another symbol. If we use one universal symbol set, what if like we're then alienated certain kids from actually being able to connect with the concept, right? Like again, there's, there's a lot of trial and error with what we do and what works. And we of course need a lot more research in the area, but it's just so individualized that it just feels like while it might seem simpler in like a utopian world, <laughs> I just don't know that it actually would be the most beneficial. Well, and what something else that is written here is I propose it should be the symbol that adults can remember and recognize quickly. And now, now that makes a lot of sense, right? Because mm-hmm. as the ones who are modeling, we want to be able to recognize them, except that we can, in most cases, the adults that are helping the students can read, in which case we do have a universal symbol set. It's called the alphabet, right? So the pictures for the kids, what I would actually propose, and I think, I think, I wish I could find the research on this, but I know it was done at Kennedy Krieger back in the day, because I remember watching a webinar on it, is they actually gave kids words, and they asked them to draw pictures, you know, and then they took a, uh, you know, you could take a, what, what picture are people drawing most frequently for these core words, and then that could, could be could be something that we use as a picture set. In fact, if I was, if uh, Rachel, you and I quit our jobs and we opened up our own AAC business where we were selling an AAC device, I would propose that our picture symbols be ones designed by kids, not adults, you know, because that would maybe most resonate with other kids who are trying to learn what these symbols mean. And there's also some really interesting things, I think, coming out of Children's Hospital of Boston with them using video modeling and then instead of using an icon for a word like jump for example they do video modeling with the child actually jumping and then they screen grab it and then they use that instead of the icon um, which is so fascinating there's also the idea of using like animated pictures, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Instead of symbols. So it's just, again, it's not, there's not one size fits all. Um, And so, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the conversation because it's interesting to explore these things and think about what, what a universal symbol set would, would be like and what are the benefits to that. Um, I have to say, I definitely agree with Christine, whatever needs to happen to make adults modeling more, I'm on board with. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that that, you know, the the crux of that argument is let's get more adults feeling comfortable with AAC so that they model AAC so that kids can use their AAC more. Um, so I completely agree with that. I just am pondering if a universal symbol set actually would be easier. Well, okay. Can we talk about that just a, a little bit more? And sure. this, of course, is reminding me of two different episodes that we've already had on the podcast. The first one, of course, is the Eric Enger episode where we talk about a specific system first approach, a specific language system first approach. Yeah. The, the idea being that, because it's sort of similar, right, is that uh, it's a tier one support, uh, meaning it's available to everybody. A kid comes into this particular room. We don't really do an assessment. We just say, you're going to use LAMP. You're just going to use ProLoquo. Uh, and then because that's what we, has been found to be the most whatever, we're just using that in our program, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like in a one-to-one model uh, in a school. Sorry, everyone just gets a Chromebook. We know that's not going to meet everybody's needs. There's certain kids with visual impairments or physical impairments that a Chromebook's not going to meet. So we're going to adjust from there. But just as a base, you walk through the door, this is what you get. 
And that's, that still resonates with me is that that would help with the modeling. It would help get people used to modeling, but that doesn't mean that would fit everybody's needs. So, mm-hmm. um, so I don't dislike the idea of a universal symbol set, um, just that we know that you have to pare down from there. It couldn't be something that we would say, well, I guess we don't have any other symbol sets. Um, adopting one as your kind of, pardon the pun, but core symbol set, you know, mm-hmm. your primary symbol set might be okay. Just know that it can't be the only thing. You know? The other thing is that like anytime there's just, you know, universal anything in an industry, it doesn't allow for growth, right? It's like, oh, well, there's just one thing that we always rely on. And like, hopefully that organization or company does a good job. I love the idea of a free marketplace where there's competitive ideas and, you know, symbol sets that are being upgraded. Smarty Symbols is a perfect example. They have a very diverse set of symbols. It's not just a Caucasian boy and a Caucasian girl, um, which is one of the things that I really love about Smarty Symbols. So it's just like, okay, I hear you, but also I appreciate the competition because I think that it just keeps making everybody raise the bar a little bit. The other episode that I was going to mention is the episode with Brian Whitmer, um, who is from Cough Drop, but we don't really talk about Cough Drop in that episode. What we really talk about is an open symbol set so that it's not behind a paywall and maybe having some sort of um, universal standard that says, okay, my device uh, supports the open symbol set. And, and uh, so it wouldn't have to be necessarily a licensed symbol set per device. You could use any symbol set and match different symbols with the hardware that you're needing, um, which is a very, again, interesting idea. Um, but I don't think it's as simple as you can just pick one, one picture and we all agree upon it as a culture, you know, um, especially when it comes to iconicity. I mean, what do you pick for the word dog? You know, do you pick a Chihuahua? Do you pick a St. Bernard? I mean, how do you think? Well, and that's the thing, too, is like, can we agree on anything in our field? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> so it feels like it would be really, uh, really contentious, whoever was the deciding vote. Rachel, there is something we can, we can agree upon, and that is that everybody should sign up to be a Patreon member. <laughs> yeah. Listen, guys, we launched a Patreon please go join our Patreon. You guys are wondering how you can support our podcast. If you love our podcast, you can go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech and you can sign up $8 a month for our Patreon group. When we get to 50 members, this is probably like signaling things for people who were followers a long time ago. When I had a review on iTunes challenge, we were trying to get to a hundred reviews on iTunes. We did it. We totally did. It's because you guys heard me talking about it incessantly every episode. We're going to do the same thing until we get 50 Patreon members. Because once we get to 50, then we're going to open up a lot more resources. Um, this podcast, it costs money to create both time and resources for the podcast hosting. We have a team of people behind us that we need to support. The reality is the more Patreon members we get, the more content we can give you guys. You guys are loving our podcast. Imagine if Chris and I had even more time to spend doing bonus episodes and live Q&A and continuing ed courses and all of these things that we could definitely do. Um, So we would love your support. And it just takes $8 a month. That's really $2 an episode uh, if you break it down that we try and do one episode a week and that's four episodes a month. So if, you, if it's $8 for a month, then it's $2 per episode. 
I've said this already and I'll keep saying it. Right now, it feels like we talk to you guys, which we love and we do every week, but we want to hear what you guys have to say back. I want this to be a community where we can help and we can grow together and we can have conversations. Um, and that's all going to be possible through this Patreon membership. So please go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. Um, you can find the sign up there and we would greatly appreciate your support. So Rachel, tell us about this interview today. Who are we listening to? Oh, I don't know, Chris. This might be my favorite interview of all time. <laughs> I've been so excited to release this episode. I spoke with Hannah Foley. She is a adult AAC user. She is a ambassador for Saltillo. And she is honestly so cool. I feel like we're besties now. We met at ASHA. I took a picture with her. I said, Hannah, do you want to come on the podcast? And she said, of course. And then we had the most amazing interview that I'm going to share with you guys today. Honestly, I am so impressed with her ability to use her device and to say such thoughtful things about AAC. She talked about her experience as an AAC user, and it just, it really, really resonated with me. Um, a lot of the things that she touched on as far as stigmas attached with AAC use, um, not people not allowing her enough wait time when they ask her a question and then she starts formulating a response and then, you know, they walk away. Um, so she gets real with this interview and I really appreciate it. Well, I cannot wait to listen. Um, I have heard of Hannah in the past, but I've never met her face to face. So I am so eager to listen to this episode and, and hear all the great uh, things she has to say. The other nice thing that Hannah said was she's willing to share some of the video. So of course, we record this podcast via Zoom. We see each other. Chris and I see each other right now. We're actually recording video, but we just pull the audio from the video and we don't typically do anything with the video. But Hannah said that she would be willing to share the video. So I thought it would be amazing for you guys to see Hannah in action. So definitely join our Facebook group if you haven't already, because that's where we're going to post some of the footage. The other footage is going to go on our Patreon for our Patreon members. So definitely sign up for Patreon, join our Facebook group. Um, it's really amazing to see Hannah actually using her device because she uses a really interesting access method um, with her, her hand. Um, it's kind of like she uses her knuckle. Um, and anyway, she's just, she's fantastic. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this interview. All right. So without further ado, let's listen to Rachel's interview with Hannah Foley. We did edit this episode so that there weren't as long of pauses between when I was asking a question to Hannah and she was responding, um, but we did think it was relevant to make note of. So I just wanted to let everyone know um, that we did do some editing so that we didn't have a super long episode. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Hannah Foley. Hannah is currently a communication major at the University of Illinois and is pursuing a career as an assistive technology and AAC specialist. She also happens to be an AAC user. She's held several positions mentoring others who use AAC, including a current position at PRC Saltillo as an ambassador educating professionals and working with AAC users to boost their confidence and foster personal growth. Hannah, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you for having me. Hannah, can you explain to our listeners who you are a little bit and your story? 
Absolutely. I am, in fact, an AAC user and a Satyo ambassador. I have mixed appetite cerebral palsy and it not only impacts my fine and gross motor skills, but also impacts my speech. I use touch chip of work power 80 for AAC. As you mentioned, I am a senior at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign with the intentions of attending graduate school in order to receive my assistive technology certification. While on campus, I hire, fire, and manage my own staff or personal assistants who are responsible for helping with activities of daily living, like personal hygiene, eating, cooking, laundry, going grocery shopping. I always say that managing about 15 college students each semester is a full-time job in itself, on mm -hmm. top of taking a full course load each semester. There have been numerous times over the past four years when I have been in situations that have pushed me to the edge and way out of my comfort zone. However, after I gained experience and learned the tricks of effectively interviewing, screening, hiring and managing my personal assistants, it is extremely rewarding to be successful in doing so. Last school year, I was a teaching assistant for a class that is mandatory for all first-year students in the program, where I served as a mentor and answered any of their questions, guided them in the right direction over the summer prior to coming to campus in order to ensure that they were successfully hiring personal assistants. I assisted in planning weekly lessons for the course and made assignments. The goal of this Beckwith program is to provide the opportunity to students with significant physical disabilities to go away to college and have a quote-unquote normal college experience and ultimately give them the tools and skills to eventually transition out of the program and independently hire and manage their own staff or personal assistants, which I was able to do this school year. It's kind of crazy, but I am the only student on the U of our campus who uses AAC. I also guest lecture in a graduate level speech pathology course in AAC. Anyway, that is just a little about me. Hannah, you're a boss lady. That's how I know. That's how I know we connected so well. We're both boss ladies. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Honestly, your your resume is so impressive. I'm really like in awe of everything that you've done. Um, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Now, you are an incredibly proficient AAC user. Um, you know, this is obviously a goal. Many of the people who listen to this podcast are both clinicians or parents, um, AAC users themselves. And, you know, we all have a similar goal. We're trying to help individuals access communication through technology. Um, you know, can you just talk about your journey and how you got here uh, because I know that we have so many people listening who are thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I want that for my, my client or I want that for my child. Um, so what has your journey been? Oh, thank you. It has definitely been quite a journey. I'm going to start at the very beginning and take you to where I am today. Throughout my whole educational career, I was in all regular education classrooms, so all of my peers and friends at school did not have disabilities. At first, you may think that it was great that I was integrated in the mainstream educational system. Well, you are right, until it came to using AAC. 
Throughout all of grade school, I had a Dynavox. If you have ever seen the older versions of the Dynavox, you have probably noticed how big, bulky, and unsightly it was. <laughs> Do you think that an intelligent and social young girl would want to walk around grade school and middle school with a big and ugly thing and have your peers look at you wondering why you and carrying such a device around with them? Absolutely not. I hated the Dynavox for these reasons. Throughout grade school, using AAC made me feel even more different from my peers than I already felt because of my physical disability. Because of this, I refused to have my device mounted to my chair and I was very resistant to using AAC. During my freshman year of high school, I started seeing an AAC specialist, Matt Bond. Matt quickly noticed my strong opposition to using AAC. He sat me down and asked me why I had such opposition. I explained to him that it makes me feel even more different from my peers than I already am. Matt was very straightforward with me and explained that if I was going to go to college and be a successful member of society, I had to stop relying on an aide or family member to interpret it for me. I have no choice other than to use AAC to be independent and achieve my goals in life. I thought long and hard about his words to me. Something clicked one day. I realized that Matt, along with various other people, knew what he was talking about. I allowed my iPad to be mounted on my wheelchair and slowly began using it in social situations and to give presentations for classes. Senior year of high school rolled around and you know what that means, picking a college in the future career. Choosing both of those things is no simple task for any 18-year-old. I knew that I wanted to attend the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Although it was going to be very difficult to be admitted, I never gave up on my dream and my family and friends never stopped supporting me. I took the ACT three times and the third time was the charm. I finally got a high enough score to be considered for admission to the university. The next challenge was to select my major. My mom and I brainstormed various different career paths about which I was interested. I thought that I would like to pursue a degree in social media marketing for some time, but then something changed. One morning during my senior year of high school, my mom was driving me to school. Instead of thinking about how I was going to tackle my physics test I had first period, I was thinking about what I was going to do after graduation at Megan for the rest of my life. On my way to school, I said to my mom, Mom, I don't think I want to do social media marketing. I want to be like Matt and help others just like he helped me. This is when I decided I wanted to become an augmentative and alternative communication specialist or an assistive technology specialist. I have had a few internships throughout college in the AAC field, as well as positions across the country as a mentor to other AAC users. And here we are today, two semesters away from graduating from the University of Illinois, working at one of the biggest AAC companies, have the greatest and most amazing, supportive, loving family and friends, and have had incredible experiences. I have been very fortunate. I am going to start off by talking sounding.
Love it. Love it. Oh my goodness. First of all, let's talk about Matt for a second. Love Matt. He's been on the podcast. When I found out that he was holding back the fact that he knew you, I was really upset with him. He said, (laughs) and I thought, I said, Matt, come on. I was like, she could have been on the podcast, you know, two years ago. Anyway, that is just a little about me. Matt is too humble. Matt is too humble? He is. I know. I know. He's the best. I love him and Jill. Um, So listen, I love hearing the story because... I think it's so important, first of all, to understand the perspective of an AAC user. Um, And I think oftentimes we we undervalue how AAC might make individuals feel even more different than they already feel. Um, So it was really interesting to hear your perspective on that. Um, And one of the amazing things about the iPad, right, is that we don't need clunky Dynavoxes anymore. we can have an iPad, a streamlined iPad. iPads are cool, right? iPads are like yeah. awesome. Um, so I just love to hear that perspective. And I also love that Matt changed your mind because you, you little lady have a lot to say and I'm happy that the world is now able to hear it uh, on a more consistent basis. Yeah, I think that is too often overlooked by clinicians and not on purpose. I completely agree. Speaking of things overlooked by clinicians, um, what advice would you give to clinicians, um, you know, or family members who have children who are using AAC um, or other AAC users? Um, you know, do you have any gems of wisdom that you think are important to share? I sure do. I'm going to start off by talking sounding like an AAC and speech nerd and give advice from the perspective and then speak from my personal experiences and give some advice from that point of view. The first thing I am going to say, and I am not going to elaborate on it because I know all of you have constantly heard it, but you need to model using language on either the child's device or another device that looks exactly like their device. Successful implementation of a device does not just consist of putting a brand new AAC system in front of a child and expecting them to be willing and able to use it. There must be the proper education and support for the child or person to be able to successfully communicate. In fact, I was the product and service development inter this summer at Satilo, and for one of my projects, I developed a presentation or a brief course on resistance to AAC among teens and young adults. It is posted as a blog post on the AAC Language Lab, so you can go check it out. Anyway, in this presentation, I talk about the various reasons for why teens and young adults may be resistant to using AAC and some techniques to overcome this resistance. 
There are so many things that family members, but especially clinicians, need to keep in mind when trying to teach communication through AAC. There's no such thing as one size fits all in the AAC field. I think that it's extremely important for clinicians to approach each individual client with an open mind and evaluate the entire client thoroughly and then develop a plan of care. The first time that you lay eyes on a client, you may automatically think that you know which communication system and access method is going to be best for them. But you don't really know that for certain. Experiment with different AAC systems and let them trial and error different access methods. Just because they may not have the best fine motor skills does not mean they can't use direct selection and have to use eye gaze or head pointing or switches. I have poor fine motor skills and I use direct selection and I am successful. My boss had me trial and demonstrate the new head pointing for touch this summer and it was nearly impossible for me to build a simplified word sentence. All of my coworkers at South Hill are also intrigued by my access method and tell me that if they were my therapist, they would never have even thought of using direct selection with me because of all my extra movement and fine motor skills. So it's extremely important to try several access methods and AAC systems until you find the perfect solution. I also think that it's important for parents and clinicians to recognize their strengths and weaknesses and if they do not have the adequate education and experience with AAC that their child needs, they need to seek out an AAC or AT specialist who specializes in AAC. Find a person who the child likes and actually wants to go see and listen to. My biggest piece of advice that I can give to family members is to support your child and nurture them, but do not be overprotective. Advocate for them to have access to a device. Push them. Have high but realistic goals for your child. It does not matter if the child has a disability. They need to have goals set for them and need to have goals set for themselves. Every child and person with a disability is impacted differently and has different levels of abilities and capabilities. Regardless of that, they still need to know that there is some expectation of them. If that's not present, they will think, why should I even try to communicate when nobody thinks I can? Also, AAC users need to be educated. They need to be taught literacy skills. The statistics of the percentage of individuals who cannot read above a second grade level is outrageous 0.90%. Parents and clinicians need to advocate for their child to be educated properly and be taught literacy skills so that they can read the word on their device and use them to communicate. There is no acceptable reason why 90% children with significant speech impairments are unable to read beyond the second grade level. Simply outrageous. Children can learn and will learn if we teach them. Make sure that they have many different social and educational opportunities and help them develop a plan to meet their goals and dreams. Now, advice for other AAC users. I know exactly how it feels to have people telling you that you shouldn't need to use this piece of technology to communicate. It's not pleasant. I know that it makes you feel different from your friends and everyone around you to use AAC. But just know that it's okay to be different. Using AAC will open up so many doors and opportunities for you, whether it be in regards to education, friendships, hobbies, employment, 
or whatever you want to achieve is, is crucial in your journey of life. If you want to be successful, listen to the people who are giving you advice and trying to help you. They do know what they are talking about. You are ultimately in control of your life. You can achieve your goals and dreams. I am not going to say that it is going to be easy. It will require a lot of dedication, hard work, frustration, anger, and love, sweat and tears, and everything in between. But you can achieve anything you want, and once you do achieve your goals, you will be paid back for all your dedication and hard work, and you have people who are there to help and support you and want you to be successful. Never give up. You can do it. Oh, I love that. And I have to say, you talked about your access method and I agree. I would have never, I would have never tried that. So I think that's such a gem of wisdom is like, you know, really you have to, and I'm sure you didn't even realize what would be the best access method for yourself. Um, and so just being able to not to not give up, right? When things maybe didn't work or I can see so often that, you know, maybe maybe we would jump to something that's not direct selection and then it wouldn't work. As you mentioned, the head the head mouse was not a thing. That was <laughs> not a happening thing. Um, and so, you know, I think it's such a great reminder that um, you never know what could be the best access method and to to really just keep trying until you find one that works. It was just trial and error on my part. Yeah. And so it's just really not giving up. I think that that was the sentiment from all of that, right? Is that you just, it is hard work and it's worth it though, at the end of the day, to be able to connect, to make those friendships and to have access to employment and education and all of those amazing things um, that, you know, everyone should have access to. Um, Communication is at the crux of that, right? Like we need to be able to communicate and connect. Yes, it is definitely well worth it. Love it. Now let's talk about let's talk about the dark side of AAC. The challenges. Ooh. What challenges are there? Because I know there's probably a lot of challenges. Uh, but what has your experience been? Um, you know, with AAC and the challenges that you've experienced. It is not all sunshine and roses, that's for sure. Using AAC to communicate is challenging. I always say that learning to communicate through AAC is like learning to speak a second language. Not only do you have to learn the motor patterns of where words and buttons are physically located within a vocabulary file, but you have to learn how the system is meant to be used. However, I think that the most challenging aspect of using AAC is bridging the gaps between the differences and norms between communicating with AAC and communicating with someone who uses verbal speech. 
Think about when you travel to a foreign country and have an interaction with someone from that country. More often than not, the norms of your native language are very different from the norms of the language of the country you are visiting. It's the same when using AAC to communicate. American society is very fast-paced and people talk quickly and are typically impatient and uneducated about AAC. We always talk about wait time in the AAC field and how important it is. However, people who are not familiar or educated with AAC typically do not know or understand the concept of wait time. They may ask you a question and you go to respond and after two seconds they just walk away because they were expecting an immediate response. I think that is the most challenging aspect of using AAC to communicate. Oh man, I can't relate because I'm not an AAC user, but I see this happen all the time. Um, and it's the one thing that I wish everybody could understand, um, you know, to just wait, to just wait and be patient. And I think that part of it is that, you know, I think people who don't understand AAC, they feel maybe uncomfortable in the silence. Um, a lot of times we all feel uncomfortable sitting in silence waiting, um, you know, but it's so important. Um, and I'm really happy that you brought that up. I, I could anticipate that, but I'm happy to hear that you can confirm. You can confirm my sneaky suspicion um, that people don't allow you time to respond. So let's talk about uh, any misconceptions that you run into, um, you know, for using a device to communicate. We talked about the pausing and, and people just not allowing you response time. Um, you know, any other misconceptions that people have that you've come across with using AAC to communicate? Oh my goodness. Yes, there are ridiculous misconceptions about using a device to communicate. People always assume that I am not intelligent, so they talk to me like I am a child in a degrading voice. People also assume that I cannot go away to college and live on my own because I use a device. You should see their faces when I tell them that I go to the URI and live on my own and manage my own care. It's hilarious. People also assume that I cannot understand what they are saying, as though I have an intellectual disability because I use a wheelchair and use AAC. My parents, family, and friends have made people say so many ridiculous things to them about me. One time, one of my professors contacted the person who manages my academic accommodations at the UVA to ask how she should communicate with me and how I give presentations in class. It's ridiculous. I also think that it's a very common misconception that people who use AAC cannot or should not use verbal speech to communicate. The underlying purpose of AAC is to augment or supplement a person's speech, not to replace it. Of course, some individuals do not have any verbal speech and AAC is their voice and only way to communicate. But that's not the case for every single AAC user. Let's use myself as an example. I do use AAC to communicate with people who don't know me well and when I know their brains are not trained or used to hearing and understanding my speech. But when I am around my family and friends I very rarely use my device to communicate because I'm comfortable with them and know that they are able to understand what I am saying. Love that. 
love that. It's such an important thing. Oftentimes, you know, the only kids that are getting referred for AAC systems are the kids who have no words or have very limited ability to say words. Um, but the augmentative piece, there's a huge part of AAC. It's <laughs> augmentative. So it's so important that, uh, you know, we, we give access to an augmentative way to communicate. And especially if, um, you know, there's some communication breakdowns happening. Yeah. Able to to be more understood um, by people like you said who might not be accustomed to you know the the way that you talk specifically um, or hearing uh, you know your speech just yeah. to repair those communication breakdowns it's so important um, and also we've had uh, Alyssa Hillary Zisk on the podcast and they talk about um, using a backup sometimes they don't want to talk sometimes they words come out easier through a device. Uh, so I think this can all inform our practice as clinicians and can really help when we have people saying, oh, well, they have, they have speech. Why would we use AAC? Um, it's just not the case, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Let's talk about Saltillo, boss lady over here. How did you get that, that gig? Um, what has been your favorite aspect of that job? Yeah, it actually goes all the way back four years ago to my senior year of high school. When I was a senior in high school, I was nominated for the Student Achievement Award that is given by Infinitech. They put a short video of pictures together and told a little bit about me. They also asked me to give a speech at the end of the night about my journey. At the time, I knew that I wanted to go into the assistive technology or AAC field. So, that night I met some people from Infinitech and exchanged contact information so that we could stay in touch. Last spring, I started looking for an internship for the summer and I reached out to one of my colleagues at Infinitech. She sent out my resume to a bunch of people that she knew. A few weeks later, I got an email from the training and implementation manager at Saltillo saying that they were interested in bringing me on the team for the summer and she was going to talk to the rest of the team to see what opportunities they have for me. They ended setting up an interview with me and someone came to campus to interview me. At the end of the interview, they offered me an internship with the training and implementation team for the summer. The internship was just incredible. I loved what I was doing. I basically reviewed all the training and implementation resources that Saltillo offers, created new resources, and developed the AAC course or presentation that I mentioned before. In the middle of my internship, I was told that I would be transitioning into the ambassador role at the end of my internship. I cannot say enough great things about Saltillo and my positions there. I have learned so much over the last seven months with the company and have grown so much professionally. I am very fortunate to have the opportunities that I have had with them. It's so hard to pick one thing about my role that is my favorite because I love all of it. I have always wondered how I was going to fit in at whatever job and company I would be working at. People are strange sometimes and treat people with disabilities differently because they have a disability. At Saltillo, I am seen for who I am and the work that I do and it does not matter that I have a disability. It's fun because when I work conferences, our engineers are there and the consultants and I give them feedback and ideas for what changes or additions we would like in our software. 
I so truly love educating professionals about what we do in AAC and helping to give people a voice. I can go on and on for days about my favorite things about soft yellow and my roles as an intern and now an ambassador there, but I will spare you and stop there. Well, we are so happy that you are educating us. Honestly, Hannah, this is so helpful. And I can't imagine what a resource you are to Saltillo. Um, you know, having insight, the insight that you have is invaluable. Um, you know, there's no better way to get in, insider info than to go straight to the source. Um, and so I'm just so happy that you found that role. And you also touched on the acceptance piece. Um, you know, I can't imagine what it might be like to have those fears about working at a place and not feeling like you're truly valued or accepted um, for who you are, um, you know, in spite of uh, a disability. And I'm sure that 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 peer acceptance, right? That's that's what we all strive for as human beings. We all want to feel accepted um, and valued for who we are. Um, and so I'm just so happy that you found that in Saltillo. Yeah, everyone there is just amazing and so nice. I just love it and what I do. Oh, that makes me so happy. I'm sure it makes them happy too, right? <laughs> so I have a question for you. Do you have any funny stories or any stories that you could share? People love a good story. And I always ask that to all of our the people that come on this podcast because I feel like we we are entertained through stories, we learn through stories. My life is full of stories, that is for sure. I love it. I have a few stories that I think our listeners would love to hear. The first one is from ASHA 2019 this past November in Orlando, which was where Rachel and I originally met, so that was amazing in itself. Anyway, I was the ambassador for Saltillo at ASHA. It was the last day of the conference, so the exhibit hall had already started to empty out, so I did not have much to do at this point. I was hanging around our booth, chatting with whoever, playing around with all of the devices we had set up at our booth. And then, all of a sudden, one of my coworkers comes over to me and asks me to come over to where she was. There was this curious little boy who had stopped at the booth, and he was using a Toby device with eye gaze. His dad and speech therapist were with him and they said that he had only had his device for a few months and he was still learning. I started talking to the little boy with my device and started to do some modeling with him. And oh my goodness, you should have seen his face and the way he looked at me when I started talking to him with my device. He was an aunt and you could just see in his face that he wanted to communicate like I was. It was so stinking cute. There's actually a picture of me interacting with him on the Saul Taylor Facebook and Instagram page, so go check it out. This was one of the times where you just take a step back and realize that your hard work you have put into your own life and career is really impacting other people, and say this is why I love what I do. My next story is not specifically about AAC, but about disability in general. When I was little, my family and I went on vacation every summer for a week. 
One year, some of my extended family came with us. My two brothers and one of my cousins were playing on a float in the middle of the lake. This particular cousin does not really know me and one of the other kids that they were playing with from the resort that we were asked and what was wrong with me, referring to my disability. My cousin responds with saying she has a terrible, terrible disease, as if cerebral palsy is contagious. And my cousin was serious. My brothers came back from playing and jokingly told me to stay away from everyone because they don't want to catch cerebral palsy. It was really funny. My next story is about people being ignorant and uneducated about AAC and unsupportive. I had already taken Spanish 1 and Spanish 2 in high school, and Yuba has a foreign language requirement for both admission and graduation from the university. When I started college, I talked to the person who helps me manage my academic accommodations and asked her what I should do about taking foreign language in college because it's conversation-based. I eventually ended up petitioning for a language accommodation so that I could take two cultural courses instead of a foreign language. In one of the two Latin American cultural courses that I took, I contacted the professor about a week before the semester started and gave him my letter of accommodations, which is basically a college version of an IEP. It outlines the accommodations that I need to receive in the classroom by instructors, and one of the accommodations that I receive is to get a copy of the class notes. This particular instructor said that they were going to assign me a student note taker who would send me their notes after every lecture, but she never did. So, the teaching assistant for the class supposedly was taking notes from me, but I had not received the notes from the semester yet, and it was the week before the final exam. I contacted the professor and explained that I did not have notes from the final exam review session because the TA was not in class that day and I cannot physically take notes. She had given all the answers to the final exam during the review session, and all the other students wrote down the answers, but I could not, and the teaching assistant was sick the day of the review session, so I did not have any of the answers, while the other students did. The professor refused to respond to my emails and sent me a copy of the completed review. It eventually got to the point that I had to contact my case manager to help me, and she contacted my professor. The professor told her that I had all the answers to the review in my semester of notes, so I can go through my notes and find the answers, <laughs> while all the other students were literally handed the answers. But not me, because I cannot physically take my own notes. My professors are typically great with accommodations, but this one made it unbelievably challenging. This is also the professor who asked how she should communicate with me and how I give presentations in class. Needless to say, I was not a big fan. One last story that I think all the IT people will appreciate. We all know that transitions in life are not easy, but they are especially difficult for people with disabilities. When I transitioned to high school, I was not only in a brand new school with new students and surroundings, but also a brand new team of professionals who are supporting me academically but still have not gotten to know me. One day, the summer before my freshman year, I went to meet my new Purat professional for the first time. Once my parents and I started talking to her and telling her about all the assistive technology I use, you could definitely tell she was nervous. Come to find out, she had never been a Purat professional before and she was terrified of any and all technology. This is where it gets funny when she finds out that I use an iPad for AAC.
She goes, what's an iPad and how do I turn it on? And then there's me, who uses AAC in terms of AT. It still makes me laugh. The entire situation ended working out fabulous. It wasn't funny at the time, but now we have an extremely close relationship and we joke around with each other on her technological incapabilities. That made me laugh really hard. I had to like be quiet because I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> What's an iPad? <laughs> oh, yikes. I mean, I think it's a testament to some people literally are scared of technology. Um, no idea about it. Um, wow. I, I have to say the Asha story with the little boy. Oh man, I thought I, I honestly thought I was going to start tearing up. Um, it's just such a beautiful thing. I'm sure that that interaction meant so much to him um, to see, to kind of see the hard work pays off. You know, like it, and it's challenging, but look, um, you know, and and I hope that that was an inspiration to to him, and it sounds like it was. Um, I just love that you were able to make that kind of an impact. And I have to say you being on this podcast is making that kind of an impact. So I really appreciate you, um, you know, kind of spotlighting uh, your experience and showcasing it in a lot of ways. Um, but you don't have to do that, right? You don't have to put yourself in the limelight. Um, but it's very much appreciated. Yeah, it was amazing. Everyone who was working at a booth just stopped for a minute to watch and take it all in. Uh, I wish I was there. I was very lucky that you came over to our booth um, because otherwise this podcast would have never happened. Um, mm. But I wish that I could have seen that because I just would have, uh, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall during that interaction. Um, Hannah, everybody who comes on this podcast, we ask a question. If you had a billboard, that every speech language pathologist could see, what would your billboard say? If I had a billboard that everyone in the world read, I would have it say, there is no such thing as a disability other than the ability to see the ability in the person for who they really are and lack of opportunities created by society. And then I would have pictures of people with all different types of disabilities on the billboard working, socializing, in graduation apparel, and doing other things that society thinks that people with disabilities should not or cannot do. I saw your Facebook post on Saturday about the little boys using their devices who ask their mom to go surfing and how we need to believe that they can and will learn and be successful if they are given the proper support and resources. I was like, yes, girl. Education. Support and opportunities is the recipe to success for AAC users and individuals with all different types of disabilities. I love it. First of all, I love that you're on my social media. That makes me feel really important and special. <laughs> but it's so true. We have to believe, right? It starts with the belief that it can happen um, because so often society and individuals who don't understand or know about disabilities, they just shut it down, right? Before it even, yeah. before it's even possible. Um, and so we really, it's our job as clinicians, especially clinicians who have a specific expertise or specialty in AAC um, to advocate 
that everybody, not only, you know, do we have to ourselves believe, but we have to advocate that everybody else on the team needs to believe too. Um, because without that belief, we won't ever get there, right? Mm. We won't ever, it'll be shut down before it even starts. Um, mm. And so I think it's so important that we do that. And I love that billboard. I would make that billboard in a second. <laughs> I want that to be my billboard. <laughs> um, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on. What is next up for you? What are, you know, what can we look out for? First of all, you're definitely going to come back on the podcast because this is way too much fun. Um, but what's next? What are your goals? Tell me what's what's next up for you in the in the AAC world besides graduating from college, which I'm really excited that that's on the horizon for you. Of course, I will be back on. Yes, that's the answer I wanted. <laughs> I will be graduating from the University of Illinois this coming December, December of 2020. And then, either next spring or the following fall, I am planning to go to graduate school to complete my assistive technology certification and then work as an AAC or AT specialist and or consultant. In the meantime, I am continuing as the Salt Hill Ambassador. I am also continuing to be a mentor to other AAC users across the country as well as guest lecturing and public speaking about AAC. At the moment, I am not sure what I will be doing over this summer, but hopefully an internship. We shall wait and see where my journey takes me next. People can find me and connect with me on basically any social media platform. I have all of the major social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, so people can go ahead and search my name on those and add me. Also remember to head over and check my blogs at on the AAC language lab. And we can definitely link to all those in the show notes for people who are interested in following Hannah, seeing what she's up to at, at Saltillo. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on today. I can't tell you how privileged I feel to have sat down with you and chatted. Um, I appreciate your humor. I appreciate all of your hard work and dedication to our field uh, to change the stigma there is with AAC, to show people how, you know, people just because they use AAC to communicate doesn't mean they're not smart or not able. Um, so you're just doing such important work for our field. And I just, it's an honor, honestly, to talk with you and to, to be friends with you. Are we friends now? I hope we're friends after, yeah. you know, after, yeah, great. That was the answer I wanted. We're good friends now. Oh, thank you so much. I love the field. And thank you again for having me. I never would have thought that I would be on Talking With Tech, but here I am. It is truly an honor. Well, you are welcome back anytime you want. I would love, love, love to have you back on. Thank you again so much. We really appreciate all of your insight, Hannah. For Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Hannah Foley. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. Please listen carefully.
Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.